State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Alan Jay, co-founder at SportsMole, about his journey and lessons in growing the brand. SportsMole is a sports news site that is updated around the clock with the latest breaking news and results from right across the sporting world, covering everything from football, cricket, tennis, and rugby union to athletics, golf, and Formula One. Let's begin. Hi, Alan. How are you? I'm very well. How's everything where you're based at the moment? Things are not too bad. Autumn is definitely with us. So uh, it's uh, been a, a bit of a change. But business-wise, uh, things are, are going pretty well. Things are returning to uh, some sense of normality. And things are busy in the Premier League, which is always good. Yeah, I think having that back-to-back as well. I, I mean, there was the period during 2020 when there was a lot of delays in the the seasons and I guess a little bit of the back-to-back has sort of helped that more of that consistency, I guess. What do you say about that? Uh, yes, you know, I think that, uh, you know, from our standpoint and from our traffic standpoint, we see a lot more traffic when there are, you know, Premier League and other European League matches on as opposed to, you know, obviously the off-season and the international things because there are just so many more people globally interested in the big European teams, including the you know, the Premier League teams, and there are in national teams for some reason. It's a different uh, demographic in that you know, the people who support you know, a Chelsea or a Manchester City or a Real Madrid are global, and we definitely see that in our audience, that we have a, a global audience for that sort of content, whereas with the national teams, it's much more focused on you know, people from one particular country. Yeah, before we delve into that, let's introduce you as well to everyone. So, Alan, you're the CEO and founder of Sportsmall and the website's sportsmall.co.uk. And you guys cover, you know, besides football news, I think you guys have covered other sports as well, but I think it looks like it's more primarily football news. It's, um, it's primarily football news. We also cover Formula One, tennis, golf, rugby, but those to a, a lesser extent than our football news, which is definitely where the majority of our traffic comes from and the, the majority of our audience. But we feel that it's very important to provide other related content so that because most people who are you know, interested in sports aren't necessarily only interested in one, it's good to be able to offer them you know, one place to uh, get a, a, you know, a range of sports information. So when did you make that decision? I guess, like, let's track back a, a little bit of point in time. Like, how long has the website been around? And, you know, where did you f- come to the point where you felt like, okay, we're doing well in football. Let's start looking at other sports. Actually, it was the other way around in that we always, from day one, wanted to offer that range of content, which was very important to us. And so, you know, we always started with the approach that this wanted should be more than just football. And I think over the last 10 years, the types of content that we have produced has evolved with regard to our football content as people's, you know, the, the, the audience that we've found has grown and changed. And so we've gone through you know, phases where you know, certain areas of the site were 
more focused and more important than others. And, you know, I think one of the things that we've done very well over the last 18 months, two years is that we've, you know, we keep on reassessing where we're at and what we're doing and looking for things that we're interested in writing about, but that also we have an audience that is interested in that content as well. So you are a doc.co.uk, but you said you have a global audience. How does that being able to cover global work for you is a primary through search or how are you how are you able to cover both global but also sort of match um, have that fact that you are in the UK? So that's one of those things where we own the dot com and a number of other sports world domains. We our original plan was that we were going to have a dot com version of the site that would be different. Mm-hmm. But we realized that one of the problems with Google is that trying to do this is extremely confusing to Google. And having got a certain amount of uh, positiveness from Google, it seemed slightly pointless to uh, to change. So for many years, we had a separate site that said coming soon on the .com that I think now just bounces you to the .co.uk. And you know, the reality is not that we started out wanting to have a global audience, but that you know, a global audience found us. You know, one of the things about both football and English is that there is a large English-speaking community around the world, you know, especially in uh, Africa, and, you know, and then obviously India and through Asia. But in particular, in you know, places like Nigeria and Kenya, they are football mad and Premier League mad, you know, in an amazing way that, you know, you see more, sh- you know, football shirts, you know, walking down a street in Kenya, Premier League teams than you do, you know, in London. Well, unless you're walking down, um, you know, a road near a stadium on a Saturday afternoon. And even then, you probably see more in Kenya on a normal day. So, you know, there is this global audience of interest in these big international teams that, you know, there's nothing you can do if you're writing content about them and it's doing well on Google, then you're going to get that that audience from all over. And I don't think that having a .co.uk is particularly negative at this point yeah well i mean it's obviously not because you guys are doing fairly well as well on that so like you know you spoke particularly before we started to go backwards a bit talking about the fact that you guys are very good in determining like the audience things and then sort of shape things around them so you mentioned the fact that you started trying to cover everything and then you know you realized football was the main central content focus how did you go about you know for people who are listening who are actually building up their media publishing and business particularly in sports like how did you then build up your business around that what's the steps that you took from that well i think you know obviously the, the the first advantage we had is that my business partner and i had just come off selling a business to uh, the lagardere group previously so we had some money that we could spend on getting this going mm-hmm. and the thing that we had discovered from our previous business was that google likes lots of well-written stuff mm-hmm. 
that if you write one article a day, that's one thing. If you're writing 100 articles a day, they notice because there's a lot of content that you're writing and the number of people who are producing that amount of content is actually quite small, especially when it's, it's proper human-generated content and it's well-written as opposed to being computer-generated. So you know, our approach was, let's do what we've done before, start by writing stuff that you know, we're interested in, that we have a, we can get an audience, a group of journalists who are passionate about what they're writing about, channel their passions as we see the, you know, the audience, and then see where it goes from there. I think that, you know, there is always that, um, you know, when you start something new, there are, there are sort of two phases. There's the, you know, the initial getting it off the ground and getting some audience, and then, you know, taking it to that first sort of next level and then taking it to the level beyond that. And, you know, getting it to an audience level that was sufficiently big to, to make it all work um, has been you know, a certain amount of a challenge. I think that when we started having been involved in entertainment previously, that we did not know how difficult it was going to be to deal in sports, which is a very, very competitive market. And certainly, I think we found the fact you know, that sports is so competitive quite uh, tricky, I think is the best way of putting it, in that yeah, we've had to do a lot more than we, we thought we would over the years. It's been harder to carve out a niche for ourselves, and we've had to evolve over the years as you know, the things that we have been doing suddenly other people do it and yeah that's yeah that just means you have to stay on your toes and keep changing and keep moving and keep evolving so yeah i mean i want to come back to some of the tactics or some of the things that you're looking at in just a moment for someone who's going to start from scratch as well like i think like you said one of the big advantages was the fact that you were able to bring that investment into this new business. You know, we heard, you know, there was like in the mid 2000s and to end of the 2000s where people would, would able to start this food struggle from scratch. Basically, it's they're putting their sweat equity and building up a media property. Do you think that that's still relevant today? Can people still build up a media property, particularly in sports media, from equity? Or do they do you think they need significant investment and build content before they publicly go live? I think they certainly can do it just with with sweat equity. I think that it is it is always hard, but I think the tools that are available today make it easier to some extent. Mm-hmm. In that there are lots of services out there that mean that you know the cost of hosting something if it gets a lot of traffic is not going to kill you, which is a you know, a much more important issue today or a much less important issue today than it was 15 years ago 20 years ago when you know 
if you wanted a server, you had to have a physical server, or you had to, you know, borrow one, you know, or you know, you were very much more limited. Now, not only are there cloud services, but there are tools within cloud services that give you the flexibility to deal with spikes in traffic much more efficiently. I think that if you're passionate about something, you know, there are other related opportunities now that there probably weren't a few years ago. You know, the whole thing with things like Substack and newsletters and you know, chargeable content are things that if you are a passionate writer and can get an audience somehow, then you know, there are ways to monetize that that are much more interesting and much more attainable than there were 10 years ago. I think that um, that is something that I think for anyone starting today is definitely a, a much more interesting route if you're an individual, if you're a passionate writer about an area of sport or a, you know, a team or or you have a certain you know, level of interest in a certain thing, the opportunity to get out there and to do it in one way or other and the potential to then do something with that. You know, there are tools out there that allow you to do it mm -hmm. until you get to a point where you get an audience and then you can try and monetize it. That really wasn't an opportunity that we had uh, in that we were trying to do something different. But you know, to give you an idea, you know, I was talking about growth and you know, it took us probably nine months to get to you know, a million page views a month. And it probably took us, sorry? That's, that's very impressive still. Like it's nine, not a lot of people can do one million pages in nine months. Like, um, but it depends, but that, yeah, that, that depends on where you've come from. You know, we had sold a business that was doing, when we sold it, just under 100 million page views a month. Yeah. And the news side was probably doing, the, the, the pure news was doing maybe 30 or 40 million pages. And so from our standpoint, getting to a million in nine months was, it's a good starting point, but it's only a starting point. You know, it took us then another probably 18 months to get to the sort of four or five million pages. Yeah. And it's then been extremely difficult to get beyond that. And in fact, bizarrely, the things that we've done and the, the reassessment of what we do during the pandemic, where we saw traffic drop down to, you know, one and a half million pages a month during the, the height of the pandemic when there was no sport at all. You know, we're now at a point where this month will do probably 16 million pages. So we've, you know, we've, if we looked at, you know, August a year ago, you know, yes, a year ago, we're 21. So September 20, we did 7 million pages and we'll, we've doubled, we've more than doubled the traffic in a year. What's been the things that you've done differently in the past year? We've focused the content that we've been producing. Yeah. 
Um, we have found certain types of content have done extremely well for us. Uh, we do previews of football matches. And you know, that is something where you know, we now seem to be doing extremely well. And we're producing content that people are interested to see. And curiously, it is not just the big matches. We are seeing interest in this sort of content from lots and lots and lots of different matches from lots of different leagues. And that is you know, very nice to see that there is a depth of interest in this sort of stuff. And that allows us to, uh, and has allowed us to increase the number that we produce each month. And that has driven traffic. And then I guess two points on that, just for people to who don't know, like is the preview, just the pre pretty much the match lineup content that you're referring to or is that the live match content and no it's 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 our editorial team's comments about the team as they come into the match and their you know how they've done over the previous few games and you know what the likely outcome is going to be previous lineups uh, with that team you know also who is likely to be playing you know, all the sort of, you know, the details about the who, why, when, where stuff that goes with the match and giving people a flavour for what our team think is going on with the match. And what kind of involvement do you have in actually doing the live coverage as well? Like, do you have the, do you have the same thing covering a live match as well? Uh, we, yeah. we don't. We used to do that. We've tried it. It's one of those things where it's difficult to do well. It's very time-consuming. And at the end of the day, it's not what people are, uh, are doing. There are so many ways to get this material these days. And you know, our, our experience has been that it's useful, but it isn't uh, something that people seem to be as focused on. Still, you know, I, I think that there's probably still a place that we haven't quite mastered. It's it's about balancing, you know, how long something takes to do against uh, the amount of traffic that you get from it. And with live commentaries, there's only you know a small number of matches that generated a lot of traffic. Yeah, and so it became apparent that it really wasn't worth the effort and the time because it, you know, to do that for a match requires having a person dedicated to it for, you know, three hours. And uh, so that was something that we, we did, we tried. It wasn't the big driver because it's very much just of the moment. So the opportunity for people to find it is limited. Yeah. I mean, and you have to get the execution. Right? I know from personal experience, like, with the lagging indexation of those pages to like making sure that the markup and technical stuff is live, correct, and you know, yep. managing the fluctuations in traffic and concurrent traffic, like all those things can make you hit and miss as well. And the composition on top of that, so I totally get where you come from and being very difficult. Does that has that helped you in making your growth plans more not focusing on that? Has that helped you in retrospect to? potentially plan the next levels of growth that you're looking for and, and make 
have more st stable, like not fluctuating levels of traffic as well for your audience? Well, I think we will, we always expect our audience to fluctuate. Yeah. One of the things that I always joke with my uh, business partner, Neil, who understands this, although, although he you know, deals with the, the editorial side, he has a, uh, a maths a statistics background. So we always joke that, you know, when you look at the statistics on our site, you have to look at them very carefully because it's not that we're doing a bad job one week or a good job ne the next week. It's that, you know, it is so dependent on what is going on. You can't compare this week with, well, this week you can compare with last week because they both were Premier League weeks. But even within that, the matches that are going on each week change. And so the level of interest will vary depending on the pairings. So, you know, and when you have a, a weekend when they're not playing, then the traffic is maybe off. And so you can't, you, you can't compare those weekends with, you know, comparable weekends because on an off weekend, we will be 30, 40% down on traffic. And then, you know, we made it up. There was a, a European league thing. The battle with the European League, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, with a couple of weeks ago, oh, yeah. uh, where we had our best day ever for a Tuesday evening. So, you know, it swings and roundabouts. And, you know, if you look too carefully at this, you get defocused on the change in traffic rather than understanding why has the traffic changed. The traffic will change based on things that you have no control over. You know, there were no Premier League matches, you know, end of July, you know, July, August, you know, obviously there were the Euros before that. And so we expect now there to be a drop-off if the main European leagues are not playing. And we just have to look at those statistics with an understanding of what is going on each week and have a better feel. And, you know, it's then looking at it and going, can I work out based on the sorts of matches that were happening? Is there a reason because of those matches why it's higher or lower rather than because, you know, the data for most of our articles are looked at over a three or four day period and that's it you know and after that they are history they're there to, for people to look back at and either laugh at our inability to uh, work out what was going to happen in the in the game or uh, praise us for getting it right that's interesting i, I like the i mean the, you gave some good examples or oh, sorry practical actions in terms of how to sort of shape your decision-making around the audience, particularly with the three to four day window. But do you have like a North Star metric or do you have like a framework for predictability or, or just sort of to help you move towards a certain direction rather than looking at more short-term stuff, a longer-term thing that can help you assess the overall health of what you guys are publishing and, and the activities that you're doing to make? I think that, you know, we are maybe not as as good at that as some people. Yeah. We you know, delve into 
bits of uh, Google Analytics every so often. When one has a spare moment, one will delve in and discover curious things that you uh, never thought were interesting, especially on the acquisition side. Similarly, you know, I do spend amount, a certain amount of time doing searches in Google to check the type, you know, where we appear in search for certain keywords and certain groups of keywords and certain ways of presenting the questions as we see what people are seem to be doing, just to check that things are the way that they that we think they are. What would be some of the things that you'd like to improve on? Do you have any plans on or actions that you want to look into the next year to sort of help you in, on the next level or next stage for sports more? We're still thinking about it. Yeah. You know, I think that we're still seeing a certain amount of growth in what we're currently doing. Yeah. And I think that that is an area where um, we haven't completely fulfilled the, the goals that we have in what we're currently doing. But the things that we are looking at is that we're, we want to completely revamp our uh, newsletter offering and make it more suitable and more appropriate for our current audience. Yeah. Um, we have a, uh, a partnership with someone who sends out a newsletter and they send traffic to us as part of this partnership. And we're always uh, surprised at how much traffic we get from them each week. So you know, newsletters, when done correctly, I think can be a driving force for getting your regular users back onto your site. And it's something we know we're not doing properly at the moment. And so it's definitely something over the next couple of months where we need to reassess what we're doing and how we're doing it and pushing it forward and making it more efficient in both collecting the information about people and delivering to them what they want and then using that as a way of driving people back to our site on a regular basis. So yeah, that is definitely one of the things that we're, we're currently looking at. I think that you know, the other thing that is de we're definitely looking at is you know, we are investigating various, um, you know, what we do at the moment and how we do it and what the traffic for the things that we produce are and what works and what doesn't work. And we do that all the time. You know, we track the clicks on articles, both within our CMS and through Google Analytics. And you know, my editorial team keep an eye on those things and look for anomalies. And you know, it's looking for the things that attract people and looking for where people are coming from to go to those things and seeing whether we can use that to our benefit. So you know, the first time, for example, we realized we had an audience in Africa was that we had a, uh, I think it was a, you know, an article about uh, an Africa Nations Cup match. And it had a huge amount of traffic for a reason that we didn't know, and we then investigated it and worked out that you know it appeared that uh, 
we had appeared at the top of somebody's search on somebody's mobile platform. And suddenly we had this huge amount of traffic from Nigeria. And, you know, it was very unexpected. But it has given, you know, those sorts of insights make you start looking at that traffic and seeing what you can do to provide those users with a better experience. Yeah. How much does monetization play in a role in terms of prioritizing that? I know you mentioned that you wanted to improve the newsletter, but from what I can see, the website's primary, it's very, it's, it's supported based on, sorry, it's supported a lot on video overlays and ad band, like ad yeah. and stuff. So like, how much of that does that influence the type of content and news coverage you're publishing? Not that much. In the case of our African users, we know that the value that we get out of them is relatively small. But equally, just because the value is small, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to ensure that they can at least see, you know, they're going to come to our site, whether whatever. So we might as well make it the best experience possible. Mm -hmm. So when this first happened about four or five years ago, we realized that a lot of them were still using uh, feature phones, using uh, Opera Mini. Interesting. And Opera Mini Extreme basically doesn't allow JavaScript. So they weren't seeing any adverts at all. And the experience was horrible. So we actually built a cut down version of the site for people running Opera Mini Extreme that just basically sends them the text and a header. And we have seen over the last four years that those users have migrated to more modern smartphones yeah, because everybody's moving to more modern smartphones. So because we gave them something that we couldn't monetize, they have transferred as they have got newer phones and we're still seeing the audience, but the audience ratio has shifted from those old feature phones to more modern Android smartphones that have a proper browser. And so we're now able to monetize them. So to some extent, by not worrying about the fact that we weren't able to monetize this bunch of traffic when it first started, we have added some value down the road because now we can. So yeah, that's one of those things where you know, we are keen. If people want to look at our site, we'd like them to look at our site. We don't want to put hurdles in the way that makes the experience bad. Yes, we'd like them to see the adverts. But if they don't see the adverts, over time, I'm sure we, you know, we think that they will. You know? And um, you know, provided enough people do look at the adverts, then we're producing enough revenue that we can continue to do what we do. I think, yeah, Alan, to be honest, like very fascinating a lot of the insights that you're giving. And we could definitely talk about this for hours, I, I think. I definitely want to touch on, you know, we spoke about your area of expertise and think something that I think I think a lot of people these days are moving towards headless CMSs or they're looking at particular workflows, particularly adopting using WordPress because 
that's more common, but I mean, your, your uh, sports ball is an exception. It's custom built. And I'm, 100%, I'm, I'm pretty sure that you've also had challenges along the road on, on that point. What's that been like? And, um, you know, before we're starting as well, you mentioned about how you can get some cloud solutions and even some examples that you mentioned now about what's monitoring. Like, how's that been like to you? And what's your advice on that in general? Well, I think, you know, obviously things have evolved since we started. You know, RCMS has its foibles, but what it does, and it does very well as far as our journalists are concerned, is it makes it very easy to do certain tasks. So, for example, as you type a name, if it sees a name that's in its database, it automatically suggests that you might want to include a link to that person. Similarly, it allows you to add the teams. It allows you to add the game ID. It, you know, it's built into our system so that we can hang things together so that all the articles that relate to a single game mm -hmm. are connected. Nice. So being able to do that in a way that our journalists can find easy is very important. Similarly, when we produce articles about you know, games are a, a very good example, that there are certain articles that we produce for every game. And those articles often include data from our system. Now, when people select that article type, it automatically generates a set of text that includes the headers with the correct team name. So Chelsea versus Manchester City. It automatically includes the previous games for each team. It automatically includes other elements of the text that we expect the journalists to write. So it takes a, a sort of template of the article style, but it puts into it automatically things like the titles, for the, because the names of the teams are a function of the match. Yeah. And you know that. So you don't have to have your journalist type that information in in the title and in the description because we know that already. This speeds up the whole process of doing it by being able to import the, the data portion of an article so that they can write the, the editorial part of the article and not have to worry about those data elements that they want to insert at various points in the article itself. Right. And those sort of tools are really valuable in uh, optimizing the journalist's ability to write because they only have to worry about writing the text. The rest is done by the system. Yeah, I mean, other, other websites, like, for example, WordPress, you'd have to add like several plugins to try to do that or custom code it, and it might clash. Yeah. So there's definitely that. Uh, and you probably you probably couldn't because it's you're then having to look against you know in our case we have hundreds if not thousands of games every month in our system yeah and you want to be able to to know to be able to type in the home team or the away team that you're of the match you're working on and just get 
that first game that's coming up immediately and and lock in all the information about that match. Similarly, you want to be able to include those teams in the team data so that it links to the correct team stuff. You want to be able to, you know, when you mention, you know, the manager, you want to be able to include a link to him automatically. You don't want to have to work out how to code that link because you'll get it wrong. So, you know, those sorts of tagging things are things that standard CMSs don't do very well because they have to have, you know, a plugin that has a backend database of names of football players. And that's complicated by the fact that, you know, football players are from around the world and how do you deal with people whose names are spelt differently by different people because that's you know some people don't like putting the various accents onto things and some people do and then how do you search for them and you know all those sorts of issues not to mention the fact that you know brazilian pairs go by single names and then you'll have a hundred of them who all have the same single name and you have to be able to differentiate between them. So uh, there are some elements where because it's customized, we can do stuff that you just couldn't do otherwise. And that includes both at the output stage and the input stage for editorial, that if you haven't tagged it correctly in the first place, then you can't link to the right places and you can't keep those links, those internal links and the flow to make sense. And I think that all of those things are really key to uh, making the whole thing work properly. And this, did this all come up about, I mean, I think a lot of publishers, I, I like Thompson, I, I know this as well, with working with others, like they have a very similar challenges. Like, was it just basically because you've had this experience for so long that you just decided to go ahead with building the custom site and, and build these tools? Or how are you constantly optimizing the workflow? to make it as easy as possible and scalable as possible to continue um, covering many stories? So uh, the, the, the simple answer is that our previous business, we had written something. Uh, when we started our new business, we decided to rewrite the said something. And because we wanted to optimize it for sport, and obviously we had, couldn't take the, the version that we'd sold to somebody else. Uh, yeah. Curiously, that version, which we sold to Lagardere, uh, and they then sold on to Hearst, uh, the businesses that had it, Hearst then liked it so much that they implemented it, or a version of it, across many of their sites in the US, because it allows you to do stuff. You know, if you have a custom CMS, it allows you to do stuff that is focused on your editorials requirements rather than a bunch of programmers who aren't interested in the editorial function. Yeah. So, you know, a custom CMS is always going to be a better solution from the perspective of making the journalist's life easier. And that, you know, is very important because we want people to be productive. And anything we can do to make the nitty gritty 
of writing the article easier is important to us. So, for example, when you add a link into our thing, you select the words you want to link to, you hit a key code combination, a box pops up, and you and you put in the URL that you want to link to, it then checks that the URL is valid before it then inserts the correct code into the, the page. Yeah. You know, it's simple to do, but it allows us to ensure that the code is valid and correct because, you know, if you have mistakes in your HTML, Google penalizes you. Yeah. And how are you constantly like, product development-wise, what dictates you to create new functions or develop new tools to make it more productive for your team? Is it just depending on new consumption trends or content formats or platforms or what sort of drives the decision-making in iterating and developing new workflows and tools? Um, totally. So it is entirely driven by editorial. So at this point, the main infrastructure is pretty much set in stone and we're just sort of tweaking things. And so adding new formats, adding new elements and styles as simply as possible when editorial say, oh, it'd be nice to be able to do whatever it happens to be. Yeah. yeah. Or I'll be talking to my uh, business partner, Neil, and we'll be talking about something and we'll say, well, we can automate that. But yeah, you know, the amount of development work we do these days is relatively small, and you know it's the stuff that I I will do occasionally when you know we have a conversation that goes, oh, please, can you do such and such, or could we do this, and then we'll find a way of doing it. Understood. Just briefly on the cloud stuff, besides web monitoring, what what was the other things that you found that you loved and you you're excited about in doing at the moment? The cloud is a mysterious thing as far as I can see. Yeah. And uh, AWS is particularly mysterious. And I have, for a long time, I believe that you know, our machines are ephemeral. They exist, they disappear, they exist again as required. So we've built a system that can cope with the fact that you know, having ephemeral servers is fine. There's no data, you know, the data is in the database and otherwise all the machines are identical. Mm -hmm. um, there are lots of things that we are trying to do to try to optimize things. And I have no idea whether we're doing a good job or a bad job. Uh, sometimes it varies, but there's still stuff that we need to do. And, you know, and I know that there is quite a lot of stuff on our back end that needs uh, looking at, but we don't currently have the resource to do so, and it works. And the problem with things that work is that you don't want to change them because then you run the risk that they won't work. Yeah, I guess when when have you felt like, I guess what what has been the cutoff point for you to make a decision that you have to do something? I totally get where you're coming from because sometimes like it is easier to sort of use what you're using, but there might be a missed opportunity somewhere else. Is it a financial impact or financial consideration or productivity? What would make you say, okay, we need to actually do something about this? I think there is always a financial element in these equations, but I think the bigger one is if it actually is working, then it's very tempting not to do too much. Yeah. When it doesn't work, then 
there's an instantaneous uh, fix put in place to to fix whatever it is that broke, which was probably caused by somebody doing something that they uh, thought would be better, better but wasn't, and it's rolling it back, which then gets you to the point of, well, if you start fiddling with things and it keeps on breaking, maybe you shouldn't fiddle with things. But we know that there are things that we should be doing and uh, that we should be doing in slightly different ways. And, you know, they might be beneficial to us. And so eventually we will do them because, you know, we're running a system that was built 10 years ago. And there are some things that have evolved since then that need a bit of uh, work on them to make them more modern. Yeah, absolutely. Let's look a bit ahead now. Let's move forward. So what are some of the things that you're planning out what you guys want to do for the next year? You know, I think we we have some goals for the next year. Okay. How we achieve those goals is always going to be tricky to know whether we're doing the right things to to hit those targets. Yeah. Yeah. This month, I think we'll probably do uh, just over sixteen million pages. You know, I foolishly only suggested that we should hit twenty by Christmas and uh, thirty by the end of the um, the season. So. You know, we'll see whether we can achieve that. And as I said, you know, we're looking at ways of driving people to come back to the site more by doing things like, you know, enhancing our newsletters and various other things to get that people circulating back to us as frequently as possible. We have a good idea of the sort of content that they're looking at. And so, you know, bringing them back to look at that content week in, week out is key to ensuring that we do hit those targets by bringing the people we already know and who already know our site back to us ourselves and hopefully then still getting the people from Google. And we get a, we see a million and a half, two million unique visitors uh, a month who are new to us. So you know, if we can get 10% of those to come back of their own volition, we'll start building that audience over the next uh, nine months. Nice. No, I wish you guys all the best on that for sure. It's not easy and it's, we always have to be ambitious with our goals and I appreciate that. And just to finish on a, a reflective note, what would be one piece of advice if you were Alan Jay back when you first started Sports More, what would be the one main advice you'd give to yourself and for others to hear when starting a sports media publishing business? I think as far as uh, sports is concerned, I didn't realize it was as competitive a market as it was. And I would say that unless you have a very specific set of things that you are passionate about, I'd steer well clear of sports. It is a really hard area to be in. You have to be able to differentiate yourself because it is. there are so many people who do a good job at it that it's much harder than we thought it was going to be. How would you advise people from being, to be unique in, particularly in the sports space? Is it just that, like you've done now with sports more? It's about creating your brand and yeah. having something and an audience. As I said, you know, I think that, you know, the advantages now are that you can start building an audience on Twitter 
you know, on Substack, you know, on all of these, on, uh, on Medium, you know, on all of these places. And by built, once you've built an audience, you can then look at how you monetize them. But you have to be willing to put in the hard work to build that audience. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the State of Digital Publishing Podcast. Listen to past and upcoming episodes across all major podcast networks. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join our community groups. Finally, visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for premium information, resources, and become a member today. Until next time.